He is alive indeed. This month, we've looked into some of the things that Jesus is. We started with He is risen, and the whole month we focused on the fact that He is alive. We talked about that He is able, and that He is available. And this morning, I want to let you know that He is also eternal. But what is eternal? What does that even matter? Why should we care that Jesus is eternal? I mean, what does it even mean that Jesus is eternal? When someone says Jesus is eternal, what do you think of? One person I talked to this week said that when I said, hey, Jesus is eternal, what does that mean to you? And they said they think of hope when they hear that. Someone else said that when they think about eternal, Jesus being eternal or eternity, it's where they plan on spending uh, the rest of their life in heaven with Jesus. Or after they've passed away, they plan on spending eternity in heaven with Jesus. Some people would even say that when they think of, uh, they just think of forever and ever and ever. And when they, when they hear the word eternal or eternity, just like the Energizer Bunny, just keeps going and going and going, never stops. There's a couple of Greek words I want to share with you today. And as we get started in, in looking at these questions and looking about eternity, where it begins, where it ends, how does it even start? We're going to look at both the word eternal and the word eternity in the Greek form, the Greek word for eternity is aeonitita. There you go. I'm only saying it once. Translated, that means unending or eternal. When I got to thinking, well, now we have to define eternal. So the Greek word for eternal is a little easier to say. It's aeonion, aeonion. Different definition there. Age long is one of the explanations. Uh, practically unending. But then there's this part of the definition that I want to settle on. It says, partaking of the character of that which lasts for an age as, con- as contrasted with that which is brief and fleeting. And why does all this matter? And as I got to studying, I got to tell you this too. I have studied eternity, well, pretty much all week. Um, but... I looked at a book from Jack Cottrell that helped me answer some of these questions. And it's, it comes from chapter 13. If you happen to have the book, Faith Once for All, uh, it's one of the best gifts that's ever been given to me. And I, I went back to that in looking at the person of Christ, which was a series I preached on a while back. And I went back to that and found out there's some things that the Bible teaches about the eternality of Jesus. And especially uh, his eternal sonship. And things I think will help us to understand and really wrap our minds around eternity but in doing that we have to remember that jesus has two natures okay he is fully human and fully divine and i got to tell you uh this morning things are going to get kind of deep as as we go into eternity his divine nature is the logos and we're going to talk about that the second person of the trinity as we think of him his human nature is the man jesus of nazareth Okay, And these two natures are combined into one person with one center of consciousness and one will. And this morning, I'm going to make three points in reference to the topic of Jesus being eternal. And here they are, if you want to write these down. And i got to give you a little heads up. I'm going to say these, and some of you are going to go, what? But just stay with me. First thing, the human nature of Jesus is not eternal. Second thing, the divine nature of Jesus has pre-existed from eternity past. We'll get on that. 
And the third thing, Jesus' sonship is not eternal. So stay with me because we're going to unpack each one of those. But one of the things I want you to understand is we talk about eternity. It's not from this day forward. Eternity started in the beginning. And we're going to, it's just going to, like I said, we're going a little deep. So put on your seatbelt. The human nature of Jesus is not eternal. I want to start there. You see, the human nature of Jesus uh, being that, that he had a beginning, a physical beginning. And that happened in, in the body of Mary when her ova was supernaturally stimulated by the Holy Spirit to begin growing a male child. You read about it in Luke chapter 1. This human person simply did not exist before this moment. Uh, for example, when the New Testament speaks of worlds being created through the Son in Colossians or through the Lord Jesus Christ, the world being created, such statements are referring to His divine nature. John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, word there is logos. All right? So that's word. Go on to the next one. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Crystal clear, right? His physical being came to be through Mary. But before his physical being, his divine being, the word, was there first. We're going to look into this. The divine nature of Jesus has pre-existed. This word that we just talked about has pre-existed from eternity past. Though the human nature of Jesus had a beginning and the human nature of Jesus had an ending point, that his divine nature does not. As logos, or I say second person in the Trinity, if you will, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, he has existed forever. It's usually called the pre-existence of Jesus. But this quality of pre-existence only applies to the divine being of Jesus. It's important to remember this in view of, the, of what we're about to share now. All right? So how does the Bible teach it, the eternality or the eternity of Christ? On many occasions, Jesus himself declared or implied that he existed before he came into this world. In John 6, 41, he said that he came down out of heaven. In John 3.13, he says he descended from heaven. He spoke of being sent by the Father. John 16.28 says, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. Even John the Baptist, who in fact was conceived about six months before Jesus' conception, declared that Jesus existed before him in John 1.15. And in Luke 1.24-36, we're going to read about the birth story of Jesus. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with, me upon, looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and, of, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of, most, of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. 
And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. See, not only did Jesus exist prior to his birth, he existed prior to the creation of the world. And even John the Baptist knew the order of how things were coming. And Jesus, he goes on, he speaks of existing in glory with the Father before the world was. One of my favorite verses about this is John 17, 5. He says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Eternity's not from here forward. It's from back there forward. Eternity, just when you really get into what eternity is and the concept of eternal and the, con- the concept of eternal life, it, it blew my mind. I know I have a small mind, but I was just like, wow, this stuff is crazy. And then I'm thinking, I've read a lot of these verses. Why has this not kicked in before? Glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundations of the world. Jesus' eternality was before the world ever was. God loved him before the foundation of the world. Jesus is described as existed from the beginning. And we've seen the logo side of Jesus' nature was active in the very creation of the world. When you look through John 1, 3, I shared that with you already. We speak of the divine nature of Jesus as being preexistent. But to be more precise, we must actually speak of his eternal preexistence. The Bible specifically affirms this of the logo side of, of Jesus' nature. In John 1, 1 through 2, the Word became flesh. The Logos, who became Jesus Christ, is described as having been in the beginning with God. In whatever sense God was in the beginning, because people ask that question, well, if Jesus was there in the beginning, if God loved Jesus before the foundation of the world, what was that? I don't know. But whatever that sense was that God was in the beginning, so also was Jesus, was the Word. And then John 1, 3 says, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him being Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Eternity. It's a long time. Here, the Logos not only is named as the creator of all things, but is carefully distinguished from the category of things that have themselves been created or have come into being. He himself is uncreated. He is beginningless, like God, eternal. Uh, similar, similarly, Colossians 1.17 says that God the Son is before all things. This means that he exists. It's present tense, prior to all created things. In a great testimony to his eternal preexistence, Jesus in John chapter 8 says simply, I am. In, in John 8.58 Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. 
He's claiming that he existed before Abraham was born, but the language he uses implies more. The word used for Abraham, genomai, refers to his coming into existence as a past event. But the words that Jesus used himself was the simple word to be. I am. The same word that God used when he talked to Moses at the burning bush. Such a use of this present tense implies that even prior to Abraham, Jesus was existing in an eternal and continuing existence. In other words, Abraham had a beginning, but Jesus in his divine nature did not. Also, the use of the present tense here, where we would have expected the past tense, seems to be a deliberate echo to what God said to Moses. There are other texts, Micah 5.2, that prophesy about the Messiah. Look at what it says. Micah says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Hebrews 10, 1 through 12 applies Psalm 102 to Jesus and attributes eternal immutability to him. It says, you are the same. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. Jesus declares in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. The eternal pre-existence of Jesus and the person of the divine logos is also consistent with what the New Testament states about application of Old Testament statements about Yahweh and about Jesus and who he's going to be. You see, because Jesus is eternal from the beginning, but his sonship is not eternal because people, as I've talked about eternity with different people, they say, well, what about the sonship of Jesus? What do you mean by that? It's not eternal. It began with the incarnation. We speak of the Trinity as God the Father, the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is appropriate as far as our relationship to Jesus is concerned. But the question is, is Jesus' sonship to the Father an eternal relationship, or did it begin with the Incarnation? Is the Father-Son relationship ontological, if you will? Is it also eternal, or did it have a beginning? The eternal sonship of Jesus Christ has, has been a traditional Christian doctrine. Alexander Campbell, for example, taught that Christ was preexistent as the Logos, but his sonship began with the Incarnation. By the way, Incarnation is the doctrine that the second person of the Trinity assumed human form in the person of Jesus Christ and is completely both God and man, in case you were getting hung up on that. Uh, I would argue that Christ's deity and his equality with God do not depend on an eternal sonship relationship. It, it doesn't depend on that. There are surely enough references to Christ's deity in the Bible to make truth of that doubt of that doctrine. The issue is relevant to the question of submission, though, of the submission of the Son to the Father. And the Bible speaks to it this way. Jesus says on more than one occasion that the Father is greater than himself. Look at John 14, 28. Jesus says, You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Jesus knows that he is the Father's servant. He came to earth to do the Father's will. He even said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. He often said things like, I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said things like, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. In 1 Corinthians eleven three, Paul says that God is the head of Christ and that Christ belongs to God. 
Many Christians from the earliest times have applied this relationship of submission to the persons of the Trinity and their eternal nature. Even before the Logos became incarnate as Jesus of Nazareth, he was subordinate to God the Father, even though the two were equal in essence. You see, a relationship of authority and submission, a chain of command, if you will, is present within the Trinity by nature. It's not only drawn from the passages that I just shared, but it's from the concept of the eternal sonship that we shared at the very beginning. If the Son is eternally begotten by the Father, then His very existence in some way depends on the Father. And this concept of subordination seems to be a natural inference. That's from Jack Cottrell, what I just shared with you. Um, He says the idea of eternal sonship, though, is seen as false. Because what many passages in the Bible actually affirm the subordination of Christ to the Father. These are best understood as referring to the role of servant, which the Logos, Jesus, voluntarily assumed that role as, he, as a result of the incarnation. When he became fully human, he voluntarily um, became a servant. There was no relationship here of subordination among the three persons of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The subordination of the Son to the Father is functional as Jesus became fully human. It has to do with his office and work, not his person. It had to do with why Jesus came to earth in the first place. Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, is the Father's servant. And he came to do the will of the Father. This is an aspect of of humiliation, some that you could say that he freely chose to endure. For the sake of our salvation, Jesus knew what he was getting into when he came to earth. There are a lot, a lot of references. I'm going to put these up so you can look at them later on this week. But, but in the world of eternity, in the words of eternal and eternity, I want to share some references with you um, that show what Jesus is all about. John 6, 47 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. John 10, 28, And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hands. That word eternal is aeonion that I shared with you earlier. It, it's that age. It's ageless. Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 2, 7. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Romans five twenty one. As sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 16, 26. But now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. Galatians 6, 8. For one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit shall from the Spirit reap eternal life. 1 Timothy 6.16 Who alone possesses immorality, immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. 1 John 1.2 And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal. Again, that's aeonion. The eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested in us. First John 5.11 And the witness is this, 
that God has given eternal life and this life is in His Son. Here's the thing about eternal promises. And there are, there are hundreds of other promises about eternity in the Scripture. But the thing about eternal promises is they go both ways. The following Scriptures I'm going to reference to you, um, they divulge for us the nature of eternal damnation. It's the opposite side. See, when most people refer to eternity, they only want to talk about an eternity in heaven. When you talk about the possibility of an eternity somewhere else, it's a lot less pleasant to think about. Matthew 18.8 says, And if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands or two feet and to be cast into the eternal fire. And that word eternal is aeonion, the same eternal that describes Jesus from the beginning. The same eternal that, that describes all the things I've shared so far today. Matthew twenty five forty one. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew twenty five forty six, And these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal fire. Both of those are aeonion. And, and there, are, there are different degrees of eternal, different spellings, different variations uh, for that Greek word. But these in particular are talking about from beginning all the way through. Mark three twenty nine. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Mark ten thirty, but that he shall receive a hundred times as much now in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. Luke eighteen thirty, who shall not receive many times as much at this time, and in the age to come eternal life. See the choice for what your eternal life is going to be lies with you. Continue on, Second uh, Thessalonians one nine, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. And Jude seven says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal ionion fire. I think it's quite obvious to us that there is an eternal punishment and there's an eternal reward. And I've also shown you the good news of this whole thing is that Jesus Christ is eternal from the very beginning. He wasn't, he wasn't an afterthought of God. His plan for salvation was never an afterthought. Him going to die on the cross was never an afterthought. It was from the beginning. It was eternal. Not from the moment that He rose from the grave or the moment that He ascended into heaven. He is eternal from the very beginning. I've shown you that in order to really understand eternity and eternal, it can be difficult somewhat, kind of like drinking through a fire hose of all kinds of things we've never seen before. And it can be confusing. We have to look at more than just one or two words to truly understand their depth. And before we close out this morning, I want to make sure everyone understands what I've shared. So I'm going to share it with you this way. Think about eternity. We hear the word billion used a lot these days, especially when our government is concerned in spending and the budget, billion, billion. 
So the next time you hear a politician use the word billion casually, think about whether you want them spending your money or not. A billion is a difficult number to to comprehend, just like eternity and eternal is kind of a difficult concept to wrap our minds around. But one advertising agency a few years back did a really good job of putting that figure into perspective in a release that they made. This is just an estimation, but stay with me. A billion seconds ago, it was 1959. Some of you say, hey, that wasn't that long ago. (laughs) A billion minutes ago, Jesus was alive. A billion hours ago, our ancestors were living in the beginning of biblical time. A billion days ago, no one walked on earth if it was here. A billion dollars ago was roughly eight hours and 20 minutes at the rate that the government spends money. No offense to those of you that work in our government. So with that concept of a billion, let me ask you this question. A billion years from now, where will you be? Well, with daily surrender to Jesus in your life, you can join me in heaven because that's where I plan on being. And it'll be one big party and you don't want to miss it. In light of the fact that Jesus is eternal, whether you use the word billion or the word eternity, from, from everlasting to everlasting, the question that you actually have to answer is where do you want to spend eternity? Where do you want to, where do you want to be in the next billion years? And as we come to our response time this morning, I know I've laid out a lot of, of, of big facts, a lot of heavy things that maybe you weren't planning on thinking about. But I wanted to just challenge you to look at something more than just the word. I hope this morning that you will consider where you want to be a billion years from now as we come to our response time. You see, our time on earth is nothing compared to our coming eternity. It's just a blink of an eye. How will you spend eternity? The choices we make here on earth will determine the answer to that question. And I don't know about you, but I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to make him the Lord of my life every day. If you'd like to do that today, the baptistry is ready. And maybe you just need a moment of rededication. The elders are here. They'd love to pray with you to begin to be accountable with you as you redirect your life. But whatever your response is to that question of where will you spend eternity, will you consider it? And stand and sing our response song with us and respond accordingly to God's word. Will you stand and sing with us? It's been great to be here with you all this morning and to share God's word with you. My hope is that every time you hear the word billion, you'll think about the word eternity and you'll consider just how long that is. But now it's time to go. As you go this morning, remember this. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. He is able. He is available. And he is indeed eternal from the very beginning all the way through. Not just for a moment. And the unique thing about Jesus being eternal is there's nothing you will go through. There's nothing you will experience. There's nothing that you're going to deal with in life that he hasn't already witnessed or experienced or gone through himself. And he still chooses to love and forgive us all along the way. And with that information, I want to challenge you this week. Don't just leave this building and go. But go to win others for Jesus Christ. And while you're going to win others for Jesus, I challenge you to commit to grow in his word and in his ways every day. Our life is a blip. And eternity is, well, forever. Will you sing this last song with us?